Hey everyone and welcome to the Vortexa Fuel for Thought podcast series, your hub of knowledge for the trading and energy industry. On today's episode, you'll be joined by Vortexa lead analyst Serena as she talks to Bremer ACM's head of tanker market research in Asia, Anoop Singh. Listen as they discuss the battle for market share in the key crude demand market of Asia amid an ongoing price war and freight market volatility. Hi everyone, I'm Serena the lead market analyst from Vortexa. Today, I'm joined by Anu, head of Tanker Research Asia from Brema, and together Hi. we'll be discussing how crude producers are battling for market share in Asia amidst the oil price war and freight volatility in the market. We will also be discussing the impact of a possible production cut between OPEC, Russia and the US on refiners and the shipping market. So global crude producers are in an oil price war after Saudi Arabia and Russia failed to reach an agreement on production cuts last month. And refiners are cutting back runs as oil demand crumbles amidst the coronavirus outbreak. Competition for market share among the producers will intensify and Asia will be a key market to watch as the largest crude importer globally and being home to large strategic petroleum resource capacity. So let's first start off by discussing about Saudi Arabia. The OPEC de facto leader reduced its April crude official selling prices to Asia by over $5 to $6 per barrel in March and is expected to set its EMEI OSPs this week. All right, Serena, so Asia went into the demand decline first, right? Uh, ahead of the West. So potentially also would come out of it earlier. So what do you think Saudi Arabia will do to maintain its market share in Asia as demand comes back? Right. So in March, you know, we saw Saudi Arabia exported around 4.8 million barrels per day of crude to Asia, which is more than 60% of its total exports. But this volume um, is lower compared to the 5.2 to 5.5 million barrels per day levels that we saw over the past 12 months. And instead, we saw an uptick of Saudi's crude being delivered to Aixuna for storage at Silicuri. And this is a strategy that is aimed at bringing the crudes closer to the European refiners. And there was another 580,000 barrels per day of crude that is being delivered to the U.S. Gulf Coast, which was a sharp increase from the levels we saw previously. Now, the truth is that Asian refiners' crude appetite is shrinking today because margins are paper thin, close to parity or in the negative, really being dragged down by the underperforming product margins as well as the inflated freight rates. To buy margins, for example, for the complex refiners are threading between parity and $2 per barrel, and for the simple refiners in the negative. And this is because across the barrel, product cracks are weak. The Singapore frontman diesel gas oil cracks are holding at the strongest of, a, of around $7 to $9 per barrel, which is currently supported by the industrial demand. But the cracks of other products have been under immense pressure. For example, jet, naphtha, and gasoline cracks have all sunk into the negative, really being impacted by the global travel lockdowns. And so going forward, we foresee that Saudi Arabia will face rising competition from its Middle East rival producers such as Iraq, Kuwait, as well as UAE for the medium sour crude market share in Asia. And they would have to cut their OSPs much deeper in May compared to April, we think, if it if they want to retain their market share. Right. So weak margins, uh, declining crude appetite. How does Russia compete in Asian refineries? Yeah, that's a good question. And... We saw close to 1.7 million barrels per day of seaborne Russian crude exports to Asia in March, right. and adding together around 
you know, 700,000 barrels per day of pipeline ESPU exports to China. That brings total exports to around 2.4 million barrels per day. So in that sense, Russia's market share in Asia is smaller compared to Saudi's. But what's interesting to note is that Russia's ESPU, which is the dominant crude grade that is being exported to Asia, is comparatively competitive right now. Um, it used to be sold at a premium to Dubai up until end of March, and it's now being sold at a discount. And in terms of freight, you know, it's, it is closer to the North Asian refiners, which means that, you know, freight costs will be low, and therefore it gives the crude an attractive edge in the current climate. And looking at the loading programs in April and May, they are seemingly higher as compared to March. And this to us is a signal that Russia is prepared to be aggressive in pushing its crude to the Asian refiners. Uh, in all of this, is there any room for uh, the Atlantic Basin's with crudes to compete and to uh, arbitrage into the Asian markets? Mm-hmm. Well, the key to note is that these crudes are marginal crudes for the Asian refiners. Mm-hmm. And the prices of these light crudes like Melbourne, North Sea and you know the West Texas intermediate grades are under immense pressure because naphtha and gasoline cracks are in the red and petrochemical margins are bearish. And we see this being reflected by the deep discounts of the crudes being offered in the market. So Brent today is offered at a discount to Dubai, and it is a reverse from the norm that we saw in the past. And we also see that you know North Sea crudes are being sold at a further discount to Brent because they are being pushed out by the sheer amount of US crude that has flooded the market. But their discounts have made them attractive to Asian refiners, in a sense giving them a silver lining. Well, as for the U.S. crude, we think that the economics just does not support Asian refiners purchasing the U.S. light sweet crude based on the current product cracks as well as the freight rates. The spot cargoes of U.S. crude that have been coming over to Asia are either the medium sour mass crude that's being purchased at deep discounts to Brent, or they are being moved into Asia for floating storage or even onshore storage. So we note that, you know, there are a couple of VLCCs that are due to load U.S. crude yeah. this month and are you know, headed for Asia with storage options at the end of the voyage. And it would be interesting to watch if these crudes will be kept as floating storage. So this story on crude prices, and I understand that freight is playing a key role in influencing Asia refiners' crude selection. And we've seen you know, freight rates skyrocketing in recent times. So what's really driving the freight rates today and how long can the market expect to see the rates at this level? Yeah, true enough. I think these, these Atlantic barrels that we're talking about here, they're pricing at about 8 to $9 a barrel, which is the freight cost for shipping uh, US crudes to Asia. But rolling back a few weeks, I think uh, it's useful to, to point out that it's the same market share battle uh, between Saudis and the Russians primarily, which is driving the freight market. And it kicked off immediately after the April OSPs came out. So it's it's worth watching out what happens immediately after the May OSPs come out, which has been delayed by a week now. But when the April OSPs came out, with the first week of that, we had a, we had a serious uh, you know the approach of the market by the Saudi uh, the freight arm of Saudi Aramco, and they went into they went on a major spot fixing binge, and you know in three days, twenty five VLCCs taken on subs. And by the end of that that week, the week of 9th March, we had 60-65 VLCCs put on sub. So very strong freight market sort of started off in line with the with with the uh, market share. And you know, looking ahead at, at May, 
uh, in June, Saudi is still signaling uh, a very strong export program, right? So that's kept the uh, the spot market buoyant, and eventually it's drawn in the time charter market as well. So time charter markets have, have gone up, uh, and we've seen about about 35, 34 to 35 VLCCs fixed on uh, uh, you know time charters at pretty firm rates between 80k a day to 100k a day. Uh, there have been a few more recently, a few three-year time charter deals is done as well, and that also been pretty strong at 48 to 50k a day. But going back and uh, sort of to your to your earlier question on market share and talking about it in a, in a time frame of three to six months, uh, you know, now what we're starting to see is uh, floating storage. Uh, you know, the demand for floating storage is starting to drive freight rates as well. So we're starting to smell. No, floating storage in the water, so to speak. So how much can floating storage get and how does this compare to the past? Ali? Yeah, so one one point of reference is uh, how big is the size of the floating storage pool today? And we're not really seeing it in many stats which report 30 days. Uh, you know, if, if a ship is floating for more than 30 days, then we pick it up. But there's also a stat for short-term floating storage, uh, something between 7 and, and 30 days. And there we've started to see at least about you know 30 million barrels above the baseline, which 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 is an operational floating storage. There's, there's at least 30 million barrels worth about 15 VLCCs, which we think is already floating. Yeah, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I don't we've we've reached large scale floating storages yet. And just for historical context, you know, we've gone through two uh, major phases of floating storage in the recent 10, 11 years. The more recent one was 2015 to 2017, when uh, you, know, you had a market share for about two and a half years. Yeah, uh, and at its peak, uh, the contango-based floating storage, you know, tied up about 45 VLCCs for about seven months, and for the full two-year period, I think at, at, at its peak, uh, about six percent of the tanker fleet was the floating storage activity. Uh, and prior to that, we had another sort of floating storage buildup, and that was that coincided with uh, the global financial crisis. And that time, eight percent of the fleet was doing a combination of clean and dirty floating storage. And incidentally, in that phase, in the 2009-10 floating storage phase, there was more clean on the water, and that had tied up one third of the LR2 fleet. Uh, so it can become quite a large soak of the tonnage, you know, if the market share battle goes on and inventory, showbiz inventories get filled uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, status quo may not remain, as we all know, and uh, the buzz in our markets, uh, oil markets, freight markets, is the impending discussion on supply cuts. Uh, hopefully this Thursday, delayed now uh, from yesterday. What are your thoughts on, on that? And how do you think that's going to play into the Asian uh, refiners' margins? Mm -hmm. So at this moment, I think everyone in the market is looking for any signals or production cut that would put a flaw to the low oil prices. And if the production cut were to materialize, it will definitely lift oil prices, both the extent of which would really depend on the level of cuts and the reference levels from which the cut is made, whether it's first Q2020 or April production levels. And in the immediate term, it's not 
really good news for the Asian refiners because you know the higher crude prices would further dent refining margins, as we've seen with the typical lag being shown for a change in oil prices to cascade through to the product prices. And we believe that product prices will over time be adjusted to higher to, to the higher feedstock cost um, and the refining margins should be normalized back again. So that's from a refiner's perspective. What about you know your perspective in terms of the tanker freight market? Just the possibility of supply cuts has uh, weakened the freight markets. So between the 1st April and today, the VLCC AD China KD3 is down 25%, and even the table market has sold off. So the same route, Q2 uh, for TD3C is pricing down 40% since 1st April. So that's, that's world scale 86, uh, which equates to earning of about $87,000 a day on a VLCC, on TD3C route. Now you see, how much uh, further can it, can it decline? Uh, and we think there are downsides. Uh, for instance, we ran uh, a simulation this morning, a break-even calculation, and we thought uh, our, our, our simulation suggests that uh, a six-month time charter would have to drop down to 40k a day for it to support floating storage at today's time spreads. And a three-month time charter would have to drop down to 60k a day for it to support uh, floating storage. So uh, compared to today's earnings in the market of about $87,000 a day, you know, we think there are more downsides. And so a lot of the uh, vessels which went on time charter at 80K, 200K a day, a couple of weeks back, they, that, that level will not support uh, floating storage. So they will probably be relate in the market and they will progressively you know, soften the market. Uh, where where the you know the, the cap will be set by the floating storage economics in the in the forward curve. Well, that's really interesting perspective from the tanker freight market. Sure. And uh, with that, we've come to the end. We'd like to leave you with two key messages. So for me, the crude producers will have to price their crude competitively, taking into consideration freight rates to deliver the crude to the refiners for supporting the refining margins in order to maintain their market share in Asia. Sure. And I think the key message on the freight side is uh, for the producers as we look at price and freight, uh, the most useful signal will come from the time spreads uh, in the forward curve of freight. If you like that podcast and wanted to hear more, you can subscribe to us at iTunes or you can head to our website at fortexa.com and fill out the form to get all the latest Fuel for Thought releases before anybody else. If you're interested in getting in touch and would like to see the Vortexa platform in action, please feel free to email us at info at fortexa.com. See you next time.